Ephesians chapter 4, the First Baptist Church of Coronado is in the process of looking for a pastor, and so I thought it would be good in our I Love My Church campaign to talk a little bit about leaders who follow. In Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11, the Bible says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Now, he gives Christians gifts. All of you as Christians, if you've received Christ, your personal Savior, he gives you gifts that you can use to minister, but he gives the church body gifts also. And the church body he gave uh, some gifts called the apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. And why did he give those gifts? For the perfecting of the saints. This doesn't mean to make you perfect without blemish or spot or never, ever having a fault. This means to mature you, that these were given to mature the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. How long will God give those gifts to the church? Until we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a complete person, a perfect man, a complete person, Unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, when we're given these gifts until we become like Christ himself, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ." Now, it's said that everything rises and falls on leadership. I assume in the military that's, a, that's a, an adage, and, a, and it's a good one. You have a good leader. You're going to have good um, strategies. You're going to have good uh, results and outcomes. If you have poor leaders, then you're going to have poor results. Well, in the business world, you have a good leader. You're going to have good results. You have poor leadership. You're going to have poor results. In uh, ministry, you're going to have a good leader. You're going to have good results. You have a poor leader. You're going to ha- it's just that way. Everything rises and falls on leadership, even more so in the church that God builds. Uh, when we look for leadership in the church, there are certain qualities that should rise to the top. And, and I kind of I invented a word. I think I invented a word. I don't think I read it anywhere. But when I talk about Christian leadership, I talk about Christian leadership. It's in your bulletin. Christian leadership. Uh, now, if someone else has said that before, uh, I am, you know, I'm at the age where I can read something, you know, and like about yesterday and forget it today. So maybe I did read it, but I think I've invented it. Leadership. That's what we talk about, leadership in the church. And I'm going to tell you, it's so different from leadership in the business world, leadership in the military. It's different, I should say, from the concept that most people have of leadership. Not so different from true leaders. And and that probably thoroughly confuses you. So I, I know that as a pastor, we had uh, and with schools, we had about 50, 55, 60 employees, kind of varied from time to time. Uh, but I know that often I was attempted to hire out of need at the, at the expense of the more important qualities. You know, God, I really need somebody. I remember 40 years ago, my, one of my, my second hire, right, Pat? My second hire, I, I really needed someone to lead worship, Micah, and, uh, and, and I was desperate for someone to lead worship. And so this guy came, and he interviewed, and he tried out, and he was pretty good, and, and it was kind of like, you know, that's what he was. He was pretty good, but I thought, I, uh, you know what? I, we really need someone, and I hired him six months later. I gave him a severance 
<laughs> check and uh, sent him on his way because he wasn't exactly a fit for us. He wasn't exactly, he wasn't a bad guy. He just wasn't a fit for our ministry. So, so we ought to be careful, and you ought to be careful. As a church body, you ought to be very, very careful. You, every one of you ought to be praying, God, lead us to the candidate that God wants us to, that you want us to have. Lead us to the candidate who's going to be the best possible uh, pastor, leader of this congregation. Now, in talking about qualifications and, uh, and skills and gifts and all of that, to me, the most important thing, and I've said this already a few weeks ago, the most important quality a guy can have or a lady can have is their, is their character. To me, that's the most important thing. If you have someone who's super smart and they don't have good character, they're going to be a clever devil. If you have someone who is really talented but they have no character, they're going to misuse the talents that God gives to them. Uh, I, I appreciate Micah and, and our praise team um, being young men, young women of character uh, who, who not live in one way up here on Sunday morning and live in another way through the week. Personal character. First Timothy 3 gives what's commonly called the qualifications for spiritual leadership or leadership, as I say, in the church. And it's a true saying. It says, if a man desires the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop must be blameless, the husband of one wife. That means a one-woman man, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetousness, or covetous, one that rules well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? And not a novice, verse 6 says, thus being lifted up with pride, he fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report or good testimony of them who are without, outside the church, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. What follows next are the qualifications of deacons. Uh, almost all of the qualities of pastors and deacons listed in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and in the book of Titus have to do with character rather than skill or ability, with the possible exception of apt to teach. The qualifications that are given here um, have to do with who we are more so than what we do, for the most part. Again, apt to teach is one of the exceptions there. But it has to do with who we are and not what we do. Leaders that fall, you understand this, and we live in an age when we've seen it happen far too many times. Leaders who fall take many with them. Uh, every person who is in ministry, I don't care if it's children's ministry, working in the nursery, if it's a pastor of a church, if it's a uh, Sunday school teacher, I don't care who it is, a chaplain in the military, I don't care who it is, if they're in a position of spiritual leadership, you have a bullseye on your back. Amen. I used to jog with the emphasis on used to. <laughs> the roads got harder and the miles got longer. Um, I used to jog and, and someone had made me, because I preached the sermon, I talked about all the pastors walking around with, with bullseyes on. Someone actually made me a t-shirt with a bullseye on my back. And so I would use that for a jogging shirt. Well, that was about the time People were doing all these drive-by shooting, <laughs> shootings randomly. And my wife said one day, I don't think that's a really good idea to wear that shirt. And, and so I quit wearing that shirt. It Actually, it disappeared. I don't even know what happened to it. She has, she has no idea. The same dryer that eats my socks ate my bullet and target shirt, whatever. Anyhow, you have a target. Because, look, here's the thing. And, and in fact, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian in the teams, if you're a Christian 
at work, if you're a Christian, wherever you, wherever you are in the school system, you have a target on your back because the devil would love to sink you. You know what? He can get just anybody who's not in spiritual leadership, and it, it has an effect. But when he gets someone who has, who has spiritual authority and power or a position, he takes a whole lot of people down with him. I told you, we went through a, a bad time several years ago when Jim Jones... You know, I know he was whacked out doctrinally, but still he's a pastor. People sold their all their homes and everything, moved down to South America with him, and wound up drinking the Kool-Aid. And, and uh, was it 900 and some of them died, something like Jim Jones? Then Jimmy Swaggart did his thing, and, and um, Jim Baker did his thing. At that point in time, I was telling people, call me Fred, because <laughs> the first name was kind of worrying me a little bit. Uh, but... Uh, but you know what? When they go down, and the world doesn't make a differentiation. The world doesn't say, well, you know what? Jim Jones was heretical. He was a crackpot. He was a nutcase. They say, yeah, there's one of those preachers. You see what they do, man. They get everything you got. They take you down somewhere and have you drink the Kool-Aid. And that's become kind of a euphemism, or not a euphemism, a, a I don't know. It, it's kind of, it, it means someone's feeding you a line, and they're, they're poisoning you with what they're giving you. They're, they're, they're getting you to drink the Kool-Aid. And the world just attaches that to Christians because that's all they know. They think, well, he claimed to be a pastor. So, so when, when the devil can take down a leader, he takes down many more with him. For God's blessings to be upon a church, there has to be a high degree of holiness in the leadership, in the leadership team. I, I'm, I want you to know, if you don't know, you are blessed with the leadership team that you have here. Uh, men and women, or I should say men and women, uh, of good character and, and good quality, and I, and I appreciate that. So we need a high degree of holiness in the leadership in every area. Uh, purity, thou should not commit adultery. Obviously, there's, uh, there's the porn, the, the Internet. Uh, it'll come finding you. You don't have to look for it. Uh, you've got to have the character when no one's around, and you've got your iPhone out, you've got your computer on, you've got your iPad out, and, and something just all of a sudden hits your, uh, your, your device there. You've got to have the character to turn it off or to switch it or trash it immediately, not open certain mails. You know what they are. Don't open certain emails. Don't go there. A huge majority of men in the United States of America are hooked on pornography, and it does. it, it is a habit-forming thing. There is a chemical reaction that takes place in the brain by viewing pornography. I, oh, who's the guy that James... Dobson interviewed several years. Ted Bundy, powerful on YouTube, testimony by Ted Bundy, who, by the way, received Christ as his Lord and Savior, but was executed for the, for the murders of uh, as many as 50 women, I think it was, and, and how he got hooked on pornography as a young boy and what it did to him. So, uh, so purity, you need someone, for I am the Lord your God. Uh, and you shall therefore sanctify yourselves, and you shall be holy, which means separate from all the world and contamination. For I am holy, God says in Leviticus chapter eleven forty four. Jesus strengthened that, by the way. He says, if you even think about it, you're guilty of it. So we're to control our thoughts. Well, I can't preach. I can't can't control my thoughts. I, they just stuff happen. Bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. God never commands us to do 
what we're impossible, what's impossible to do and what we're unable to do. We can bring in, but you're not going to bring those thoughts into captivity if you're watching stuff on the internet that you don't have any business viewing. Sincerity. Uh, our authenticity would be the word today. God doesn't require perfection, but he requires authenticity. That's why Jesus did battle with the Pharisees, the very people who were the religious leaders of the country to which he was sent. He did battle with them because they were hypocrites. They said one thing and did another. They loved to pray on the street corners, these beautiful prayers and cry out and people walk by and say oh look how holy they are he said they were whited sepulchers they were graves back in the midwest you have a lot of you have in the cemeteries some of these tombs that people put up not just headstones not just tombstones but sometimes a vault or whatever and and they'll be beautiful on the outside jesus said but inside you're full of death and corruption dead men's bones rottenness He wants authenticity. Don't be a hypocrite. Humility. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. God wants humility. Humility is just recognizing that we can do nothing at all good apart from God's help. We don't have it in us to do anything good. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. Anything that we do that's good, any word we speak that's good is because God is working through us. Christ-likeness, Philippians chapter 2, preached on that a couple weeks uh, when we were in Philippians uh, about a month ago, that nothing done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. And then something you maybe haven't thought about, maybe haven't thought about, But another principle is upside-down leadership principles. Upside-down. What do I mean by that? Envision in your mind a pyramid, and a pyramid, you know, the base down, the pyramid at the pinnacle, there's the CEO. There's the uh, chief of staff or admiral. What do you call him? What what would be the, well, commander-in-chief. Commander-in-chief would be right there, right, at the pinnacle. So, So whoever, that's the world's idea of leadership. Whoever's at the very top, the most people that that serve you, the most people that are under your command, that's the biggest success. But that's not what Jesus said. In Matthew 20, you know that the rulers of this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, Christians, Jesus said it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your what? Servant. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your, King James says, slave. Not just servant, slave. If you want to be first, you be a slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life a ransom for many. So, so what it is, it's the, it's the upside-down leadership principle. It's the inverted pyramid. And the more people you serve, the, the more of a leader you are in spiritual things as far as God is concerned. Jesus was the ultimate leader. He served. He came to seek and to serve. The lost, he, did, he didn't come to be served. He rejected the crown. He rejected the throne. He rejected the, 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 when they wanted to seize him and, and make him king. He said, no, that's not what I'm here for. He came to seek and serve. So the upside-down leadership principle. 
Second point, leadership capability. There's got to be a courageous confrontation of problems. There, there are always going to be problems. As long as you have people, there are going to be problems. As long as First Baptist Church has people, there will be problems. The only way to get rid of problems is to get rid of the people. Then you have other problems because you don't have a church. We're going to have a new members class next week, and we're excited about that. And, and uh, here's the thing, though. If you expect First Baptist Church to be perfect, don't join it because if it is perfect, you'll mess it up. But I can tell you it's not perfect because there's already imperfect people who are members of First Baptist Church, okay? So, so uh, problems, that, that's part of it. I, that's why, that's why I, I like to view the church as not a museum for perfect showpieces of art, but it's a, it's, it's a triage. It, it, it's, a, it, it's a hospital. It's an emergency room for broken people. That's what the church is. So you got to confront problems, immorality. First Corinthians chapter 5, it's commonly reported among you that there's fornication among you. And such fornication is not so much named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. My goodness. Cry out against the sins and the immorality. A gossip, uh, their word will eat as, a, as, as doth a canker or a cancer of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus. He named names. He said, there's two of you that are gossiping. How, how'd you like that? <laughs> how'd you like, come to church and, and somebody call out your name and say, so-and-so, and so, you've been gossiping this week and you need to knock it off. But that's, that's what a leader sometimes has to do is confront. Has to confront division. When it starts out in 1 Corinthians, it, it talks about factions and it talks about I am of Peter and I am of Paul and I am of Cephas and I am of Christ. Or Apollos, and I am of Christ. And there were these factions, and there was division. And, and I was just reading, my, uh, I think, this morning that we're, we're to be one. We're to be one in Christ. We're not to be all scattered out and divided. So a leadership has to confront that. A major ingredient of, of leadership is the ability to take charge in a time of crisis, to know what to do and how to do it. Third thing here is an attitude of reasonable flexibility. You all know leaders who are inflexible. You all know bosses who are inflexible. They are rigid. And if you bend them, they break. Now, in matters of truth, in matters of doctrine, truths are absolute. And the truth doesn't change regardless of how society changes. The truth of God's word doesn't change regardless of what the Supreme Court says. The truth of God doesn't change regardless of what the assembly or the state senate of California says. The truth of God's word is established forever. Thy word is settled in heaven. They are non-negotiable. They are the fundamentals. And we have a lot of fundamentals. We believe in the deity of Christ. We believe in the virgin birth. We believe in the literal physical death of Christ on the cross. We believe in the literal physical resurrection of, of Christ from the grave after three days and three nights. We believe in, fifthly, the second coming of Christ. He's coming back one of these days. Those five things are fundamentals. They're, they're, I will not and cannot renounce those for anybody. Now, there are a lot of things. We were talking today about Daniel and, you know, what is the meaning of this, of this you know, you've got the gold head and the silver chest and, 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 and then you've got the, uh, the, the brass and then the iron. Is it brass or bronze? 
bronze, and then the iron, and then the iron mingled with clay. And I said, I, I, I want to know, because you know, I've been, ever since Bible college, I can't figure out what the little toe on the left foot of that image means. And so Fitz is going to explain it to me later on. He's going to tell me. I, there's a lot of things we don't know. There, there are a lot of things that we don't necessarily have to agree on to have fellowship. Um, and, and I'm totally not thinking of a single thing right now. <laughs> but there are lots of things. Huh? Movies? Music. Music. I just, yeah, preached on that. Music styles. Some people say, you know, yeah, I'll tell you what. I want to sing what the Apostle Paul sang, the good old hymns that were written in the 1800s. Apostle Paul didn't sing the hymns that we sing today. In fact, they would have sounded pretty probably wrong to him. Others saying, I want to sing the songs of today, the contemporaries. You know what? Those are, those are let's be flexible on, and negotiable on the non-essentials. But on the essentials, we've got to hold true. Opinions and preferences, flexible, not the truth of God. And good leaders are sensitive to the body so as not to offend with a weak conscience, but aren't intimidated by a few vocal critics. The fourth thing is open support of leaders. You ought to be lined up behind your leadership team. You ought to be holding them up in prayer. You ought to be lined up behind your Sunday school teachers, behind your children's teachers, behind uh, you ought, when when you get a pastor, you need to be behind him. I don't mean I don't mean be yes men and yes women and whatever he does is fine. I don't mean that, but I do mean uh, here's what Paul said: We beseech you, we beg you, brothers, to know them who labor among you and are over you in the Lord, and we admonish you to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. Uh, we've been in ministry and acquainted with ministry long enough and know enough preachers and churches that we've known some churches that just absolutely kill preachers. I, I, had, a, I had a guy who was working on staff years ago, and he wanted to go to this church uh, and be the pastor. And I, I was trying to help him find a church, and, and I ch- did some checking. I said, you know what? You don't want to go to this church. This church had run off like three or four pastors in the last five years. So you don't want to go there. Oh, I think that's what God's leading me. I think that's what he wants. And he went. You know what it did? It almost ran him out of the ministry. It almost, he was, he was working a secular job and was thinking about totally quitting the ministry. So don't be that kind of a church ever. Be a church that loves, prays for, holds up the hands of those who are in spiritual leadership over you. We hear a lot about leadership today. You could go to the bookstore and find Probably multiply dozens of church uh, of books on leadership, but I challenge you to find any on followership. <laughs> what is followership? Jesus said, "Follow me," and even Paul said, "Follow me as I follow Jesus." A real test of character is how well you can follow. I know that's true in the military too. A guy who can't follow orders is not going to do well. A lady who can't follow orders is not going to do very well in the military. Paul said, follow me as he followed Jesus. The fifth thing here, a progressive delegation of responsibility. If not controlled, listen to this statement. If not controlled, work will flow to the most competent person until he or she is swamped. Amen. Am I right on that? Work will flow to the most competent or the most willing person. It said that 20% of people do 80% of the work. I think that's probably so. And how many hats do you wear? 
at First Baptist Church. Some of you wear multiple hats. Some of you are doing a multiplicity of things. And good leadership will delegate responsibility. In Acts chapter 6, verse 4, what happened with the deacons was they were, it was recognized that the apostles were spending time doing things that were necessary things, taking care of the widows, feeding the widows. They didn't have Social Security. They didn't have any kind of a way of taking care of widows who, who were left without any means of visible support. And so the, the deacons were appointed to take care of that so that the apostles didn't have to do that work. It wasn't an unimportant work. But the apostles were to give themselves to prayer and to, and to the word of God and to preaching the word. So the deacons were chosen to take care of that service. In, Ex- in Exodus chapter 18, read it sometime. Moses is wearing himself out. Moses, absolutely, he's early in the morning, late at night. People are lined up. They're, they're coming to him with all their problems and, and, and dumping all those problems in his lap. And he's trying to sort through it all and figure out what they should do. And his father-in-law, Jethro, not from the Beverly Hillbillies fame, Jethro said, you're not doing this right. So you need to get people delegated under you who take care of the hundreds and the fifties and and so on and and bring the most important matters to you, obviously, but delegate. Sometimes it's hard for leaders to delegate. Sometimes leaders want to do everything. Other times they just don't know how to do it. Number six, opportunities to lead. Now, this is going to be controversial. Oh, this is one of those controversial things right here. I couldn't think of a minute ago. Uh, The church has two offices, really. Two. The first office is pastor, elder, bishop. Same thing. What? It's three different things. No. Three different terms used in the New Testament in reference to the same church leaders. Listen to this. Poimen, pastors, presbyteros, elders, episcopos, overseers, episcopalians, took their name of their denomination from the Greek word episkopos, which means overseers, presbyterians from the presbyteros, which means uh, elders, and poimen, pastors. I don't know if there's a poimen church somewhere. I'm not sure about that. Uh, but listen to this, First Peter chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. All three terms refer to the same person, to the, or the same people. To the elders, I say, be shepherds of God's flock, serving as overseers. What? To the elders, presbyteros, I say, be shepherds, poimen, of God's flock, serving as overseers, episkopos. Same old, same old. To the, and then that's in 1 Peter 5, 1 and 2. And then Acts chapter 20, verse 17, 18, and 28, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. And when they arrived unto him, he said, Guard yourselves and all the flock of God, which has made you overseers, be pastors of the church of God. All three terms, all three words in the same context there, not in the same verse there, verses 17, 18, and 28. Titus chapter 1, same way. 1 Timothy chapter 5, same way. That's the first office, that of the pastor, elder, bishop. Then there are the deacons, which we talked about from Acts chapter 6. Those are the two offices of the church. And, and, and I know I'm in a Southern Baptist church, and, and I am and co-filled with Southern Baptists, and I don't, I'm going to say something that's going to tick somebody off, but I haven't done my job if I don't tick somebody off every Sunday. So the deacons were not to run the pastors, elders, or bishops. I'm sorry. They were not a, they were, they were there as a service organization. 
to the church to help minister, to check it out. If I'm wrong, I will admit it, confess my sin, and ask your forgiveness. Our plan, my plan for First Baptist Church is to be here and to make sure that the church is on fire as much as we possibly can to get good godly leadership that will take you on and keep you on fire for the Lord. We, we People will come and go. I, you know, military is going to be moving this guy around, moving, moving Nathan around. And, and, you know, we come and go, but the church must remain. This church has been faithful, Carolyn, for how many years? 1950 what? 1952, it's been here on the island preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ in the year 2052. If the Lord hasn't come back, it needs to be here. If the Lord has come back, then the Mormons can have it. Oh, that was tacky. I don't know where that came from at all. So my question to you, we we come and go, but but the church has to be, and and by the way, the church is not going to pass off the scene. These guys predicting, even some some Baptist authors, well, the church is going to be passe. No, the church will be here. God will build his church until he comes back, and he'll take it on home to be with him. Until that time, it will be here on the earth. So my question to you is, are you a leader in this church? Are you a follower? Because that's where you start. You don't start out as leader. I had a guy one time, a uh, hundred years ago, came and joined our church. He said, okay, I want to be, be an adult Sunday school teacher. I said, well, that'd be good. I said, we have a rule here. We wait about six months, and then we'll figure out, uh, you know, we'll, we'll make a decision at that point in time. He said, six months? I said, why? I've been teaching adults for however long. I said, because I don't know you. I don't know what you believe. I, don't, I want to observe you. I don't know how dedicated. I don't know if you're going to be here one week and not here one week and gone three weeks and back one week. I don't know how it's going to be. Well, he joined another church. Sorry. Um, it, it's, we come and go, but, but we, we need to make sure we put the right leaders in position. Are you a follower? Are you even a believer today? Because the truth of the matter is, and this may sound weird to you. I'm saying a lot of weird things today. God doesn't even want you serving him if you don't know him. Because you're not going to do it right. Last point. The leader's secret ingredient. Not only is Christian leadership upside down, the inverted pyramid, but it's inside out. Christian leadership is upside down and inside out, because each of us has two sides to our life, a public and a private side. The public side, everyone sees on Sunday. And we come in on Sunday, and our halos are shined, right? And adjusted, if they got kind of, you know, if they got bent during the week, we, we, we straighten them out, and, and we, we come in, and we got our smile, and how was your week? Oh, it was wonderful. How was your week? Oh, it was marvelous. That's the public side. It's when we're on, we're on our best behavior. And that's what we do. But the private side is kind of backstage. It can be dark. It can be messy. People are very seldom allowed there, if at all. And it's about who we really are. Now, I'm not saying that we're all hypocrites and we all have this dark, weird stuff. I'm just saying we're on our best behavior right here. Leadership, leadership in the church, not only needs to be upside down, but needs to be inside out because what's on the inside is going to come out. When the early Wesleyans got together, the first thing they would ask each other, I'm told, 
is they would say, how is your soul? Not how was your week. How's your soul? When's the last time you were asked that? I don't know if I've ever been asked that. How's your soul? The reality is that what's on the inside will find its way to the surface. That's why there better be character. There better be a transformed heart with whoever you call to be your pastor because because what is there will come out. It might take a few weeks, a few months, a couple of years, but it will come out. In fact, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. What's here is going to come out here. So the Christian life is lived inside out. We're like, we're, so how do we do that? Well, it's like we have buckets. We're walking around with buckets that have holes in them. The Holy Spirit's dripping out. And we're, you know, we're, not that we're losing our salvation, but, but the power and the filling of the Holy Spirit. We, we walk around in a sin-cursed world, pressure, stress, fatigue, sin, brokenness all around us. We make wrong decisions and, and, and problems, put holes in our buckets, and, and we become broken, we become empty, we become insecure, we become compulsive, we become a lot of things. And all of us have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Over and over and over and over and over and over again. Not get saved again. You get saved uno time, right? One time. You get saved once. But you get filled with the Spirit of God over and over and over. Especially those in leadership position. It is so important because we cannot do the work of God in the power of our flesh. So how do we go about that? How do we become filled with the Holy Spirit? We realize we have an urgent need. If you don't need a doctor, you don't go. But if you have something that's alarming, you make an appointment because you realize you have a need. You repair what is broken or empty. You go to the great physician, you figure out what's wrong, you make it right, and then you refill with the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. And Paul said it this way to Ephesus. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin you instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. Joshua was one of the most incredible leaders um, ever. And, uh, and Caleb. And, and listen to what Joshua 14 says. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said, these 45 years, even since the Lord spoke this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old. That's 85 years old. This is Caleb. As yet I am as strong this day as it was the day Moses sent me, and my strength was then, even so is my strength now, for war both to go out and come in. Now therefore give me this mountain whereof the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day how the Anakims were here, and how that the cities were great and fenced. If so be, the Lord will be with, it, with me, then I will be able to drive them out, says the Lord. Here's an 85-year-old guy saying, I want that mountain. Now, first of all, just to get up the mountain. <laughs> You know, to me, I'm like, wow, this guy's cool. (laughs) He's got vision. He's got drive. He's got energy. But he's got to fight his way up the mountain because the giants lived. The Anakim were giants. They lived in the mountain that he wanted. He said, let me at him. And the key, the secret ingredient, if the Lord be with me, then I will be able to drive him out. If the Lord be with you, 
then you'll be able to conquer mountains and conquer enemies and do a great work on this island. George Patton is one of my greatest. I love reading about George Patton. And on leading 3rd Army Infantry to cross the Rhine River one cold, snowy day, he was disobeying orders. His, uh, I don't know why, I don't, I don't, you know, the politics of war drive me nuts, but uh, for whatever reason, um, our president had wanted Montgomery, Field Marshal Montgomery, to enter into Berlin first, and, or into Germany first, and, um, and so um, Patton was told to stand down, but he didn't. He crossed when he got to the bridge over the Rhine, he actually got out of his Jeep and walked over. I'm not going to tell you what happened mid-span just because it's not appropriate probably, but there was something that happened there if you want to see it. He, got, he walked to the other side, and he went on in. You know when Field Marshal, uh, um, uh, what's his name, uh, Montgomery, finally got there, there was Patton and his guys sitting around saying, what took you so long? And he was a great leader. But he had trouble following sometimes. And I want you to be men and women who become great leaders and maybe are already great leaders by learning how to follow the leaders that God puts in your path. So first thing this, bow your heads, please. Every head bowed. First thing is this. Have you followed Christ to Calvary? Have you received the Lord as your personal Savior? Have you come to him and basically said, I know I'm a sinner. I know I don't deserve to go to heaven. I know that Jesus is God's son and I know he died for me, but I haven't yet, I haven't yet flipped that switch. I haven't yet called on him. I haven't yet turned my heart over, my life over, my future, my everything over to him. Then that's where you need to start. Follow him to the cross. Trust Christ as your Lord. And your Savior. You can do that right now. How can you do that, preacher? You can do it right now by, by praying. You can pray something like this. It's, and again, I want to stress, this is not some kind of magic formula. This is only the beginning. It, this is not all that you need to do, but this is where you need to start. You can pray something like this to God in your own heart. You can say, dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know I'm going to die one day. I believe that Jesus is your son, and he died for me on the cross I believe he was buried and he rose again. And I trust him this morning to take away all my sins, forgive me of my sins, and to make me your child. Save me for Jesus' sake. With every head bowed, if you just prayed that prayer, no one's going to be embarrassed. Just raise your hand up real high. I just prayed that prayer, preacher. I meant it with all my heart. Put your hand up real high. God bless you. God bless you. Now what you need to do next is you need to let someone know. One of the greatest things you can do is take one of those, communi- those connection cards and just fill it, put your name on there, and say, today I prayed and asked Christ to be my personal Savior. Or in this invitation, in a moment, we're going to sing one verse. You can walk forward, and, and you can let people know by doing that, I've trusted Christ as my Savior. You don't have to make any speeches. don't have to say anything. Just talk to the counselor. Have you followed Christ into the path of servanthood? That's the next thing. You're saved, but have you followed Christ into servant? Are you serving him somehow? How do you serve God? By serving people. 
What does God need from you and from me? Nothing. But people need our service. What is it God would have you? How about this? Pray for your leadership team. How about this? Pray for your adult and children's Sunday school teachers. How about this? Pray for the sound crew and the light crew. How about this? Pray for the praise team. Have you been doing that? How about this? Pray that God's will be done in your life and that he show you what he wants you to do. Father, forgive us of our sins. Bless us, we pray. May your will be done. This invitation we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?